0: Buenos dias, buenas tardes, buenas noches, señoras y señores. I'm Guillermo Patria. As always, it's a pleasure to be here uh, And in our fourth season of El Clasecito, And I'll come to our third episode. Today, uh, talking about something that's very important and very in vogue, and should always be in vogue, really. Uh, but before I before I introduce the topic, I want to say hello to my fellow presenters, Raquel Serrano. How are you today?
1: Hi there. I'm good. I'm uh kind of like sad that the it's getting darker sooner but um so happy to be back and to talk about this as you said very important topic and have this conversation with you guys
0: Absolutely dude. like saving time is a disaster Jose Alfredo Jimenez how are you today
2: I'm doing great um uh hello everyone uh, I think this is going to be a really interesting episode because um, I feel like Raquel is our expert in the group in this topic and I'm really interested um, for the teachers and, and 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 for us to learn uh, a lot of new things about this very interesting and important topic.
0: Absolutely. And also today we have the honor to have our first guest for the season who has been with us a lot of times before, Ana Beatriz Laranjeira, how are you today?
3: Oh, my God, you have disclosed my middle name. Uh, (laughs) Please call me Anna. Uh, It's such a pleasure to be back to El Cafecito. And I didn't know I was the first guest. Uh, Also an honor to be here. And I'm excited to talk about this topic, which is a sad topic, but still very important to be talked about.
0: Absolutely. And now, after all this mystery, I don't even know why I made all this mystery because you already clicked on the episode. So, you already know what the topic is. So, today we're going to be talking about uh, gender based violence and feminist responses to them and the uh, new movement. And to get the ball rolling, I'll give it to our uh, in house expert, Raquel.
1: Thank you so much. It's, uh, I'm so happy that we can use this platform that we have created to talk about this this issue of gender based violence. Uh, It's something that I study, but it's something that is so close to to my heart and to my passion as as an academic, as as a feminist, and as a a person that wants to change the reality of many, many women in Latin America. So to get us started and just provide some context, uh, in February of 2000, the General Assembly of the UN designated November 25th as the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, And the origin of this day is actually very close to Latin America as this day honors the memory of las mariposas, the butterflies, uh, three sisters from the Dominican Republic, Patria, Minerva and Maria Teresa, who were assassinated in 1960 during the dictatorship of Rafael Trujillo. Las Mariposas were key actors in the opposition movement against uh, the dictator, and their legacy has inspired many women in the Dominican Republic and Latin America to resist uh, gender-based violence. So, as you said, Guillerme, to contribute to the many initiatives that are taking place worldwide to denounce violence against women and like call call for action, we would like to dedicate this episode to discuss gender-based violence in Latin America and the responses of feminist movements. Um, so my first question is um, based on your experiences and, and your knowledge, uh, what is the situation of gender-based violence in Latin America? It could also be in your home country, so if you want to share with us your thoughts on that, uh, please go ahead.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think this is a really interesting topic that I feel a lot more people should be educated on, um, essentially because uh, I'm from Ecuador. If if anyone listening that did not remember that from a previous episode, and I think this is a very not just in Ecuador but in in Latin America in general, I think this is a very it's a it's a topic that a lot more people should should get educated on, and I hope this podcast helps to to push this uh, to to make people more more knowledgeable on this topic and yeah i think locally um there's a, always in the news always like in culture like in in the culture and, and in and like the news mainly you can you can hear uh anything related to to violence again against women and and yeah i think it's a really sad topic and I, I think there there has to be a change and and it has to be has to happen soon as soon as as we can
0: Yeah, so just to reply to your question, I guess, um, In I know that it's really sad, actually, because I read, I, I was reflecting about this, I read uh, Brazilian newspapers every single day. And, and honestly, in the past year, I do not recall reading a single uh, article or, or opinion piece or anything really on this, except when we were around, uh, what day is it? Uh, 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 there's a day. There's a there's a day. What day is it? It's it's in it's in March May, 8th. It? It's in March. March 8th. There you go. Unless we're in March 8th, there's really nothing on it, and it's really sad because we know that the side is one of the uh, uh, biggest issues that Brazil faces, especially now with this uh, extreme fascist right wing government in power, uh, who who brushes all of this under the rug and tries to put a veil of normality over it. But just the fact that I don't know makes me think that this is really not talked about enough and i agree with alfredo in that
3: um yeah actually now that you mention i read a lot about the topic but not on major newspapers i remember reading on like alternative media like media ninja um so a few like iconic cases or i guess symptomatic. Uh, I don't know if you remember the 10 year old girl who was uh, harassed by Bolsonaro supporters when she was getting um, an abortion because she was raped. But I remember.
0: By her uncle, uncle, I think.
3: Sarah Winter, which is like this huge figure in Bolsonarism, made a campaign for Bolsonaro supporters to go to this hospital. And she shared the identity of the girl um, and the doctor who was helping her. And she made a campaign for them to try and invade the hospital and reverse the decision to let her get an abortion. Um, But, well, that's not exclusive to Bolsonaro, I think. Um, I remember when we recorded the episode of Latinas in Toronto, that was a topic that all of us uh, could relate to and just remembering how different it felt to walk down the streets of our home countries versus in Toronto and like the concerns that our families have for us when we're home and when versus when we're here. Because really the violence is just so encompassing and so present, I guess, in Brazil and all over Latin America.
1: Definitely. And with what you're saying about the media and the role that media plays, it's very interesting because they usually portray uh, cases of violence, especially femicides. They don't portray them as femicides. They use sensational uh, uh, headlines that blame whatever happened to um, the the victim. Um, And that just shows that in the media and in many other public spheres, uh, gender based violence in specific femicides are seen as a private issue and not a public one. So, I think that's why it's really important to highlight that femicides, um, sexual violence, physical violence, like all these other forms of violence, are a systemic issue. And I wanted to bring here this uh, information from the Gender Equality Observatory for Latin America and the Caribbean. And they have several indicators on gender equality, including femicides. And uh, for those that don't know what this term means, essentially femicides are labeled uh, as the killing of women based on their gender. So the killing of a woman. So according to this observatory in 2019, uh, there were 4,640 cases of femicides in the region. Uh, For the same year, the three Latin American countries with the higher numbers of femicides were Brazil, Mexico and Honduras, and the top three countries with the higher uh, percentages of of femicides uh, were um, Honduras, El Salvador, and the Dominican Republic. And between 2018 and 2019, uh, there was a 1.3% variation in the number of femicides in Latin America and the Caribbean. And I think these statistics just help us evidence that there is a prevalent systemic issue uh, that affects women uh, across Latin America. It's important to highlight that uh, it's a public issue, and that's why it should be considered as, as such. And um, knowing that uh, these issues are connected, there's there's a connection from one to, to the other one, helps see them as an evidence that this is a systemic uh, issue indeed. Um, so now I wanted to ask you, uh, when we are talking about gender-based violence, um, I think it's important to consider that gender-based violence includes all forms of violence, uh, sexual, psychological, physical, economic, political, and social. Um, so my question is, ba- based on like these different forms of violence, what has happened in Latin America in the past few months in regards to, to violence against women?
3: Um, Can I just make a quick comment about something you said um, about it being a public issue and not like a private individual issue? Uh, I was thinking the femicide legislation in Brazil was only put into force in 2015, which is quite recent. And I remember um, I mentioned in the (laughs) Latinas in Toronto episode, I'll keep bringing you back. You should listen to it. Um, I mentioned that every time I call my grandmother she tells me to be careful with boyfriends because on the news all that she sees is um, violence between partners but it's never portrayed as a systemic issue it's always sensationalized in a way like oh this passionate ex-lover and his emotions and jealousy led to this violence Um, and yeah that's not the direction media should be taking.
1: Yeah, that's not, that, that's not how it works. Yeah, and that brings a great point about um, how we can make this issue more public. So legislation is a key aspect. So including uh, femicide as uh, in the like the legislation, I think, is a great example of how uh, political institutions can help uh, visualize the issue of femicides as a public systemic problem.
3: Yeah, Um, and we know legislation is not enough and, you know, um, violence will continue to happen and enforcement is complicated, but the symbolic value of having that written into law, I think, is still very important. Um, But going back to your question about what happened in the past past few months, um, I... Would you like to start with the positive or the negative things that happen?
1: I guess we can start with with the negative, just to provide some context to why the positive, uh, like the impact of of the positive ones.
3: Um, Yeah, the story that I thought to bring was the story of the girl who was harassed by Bolsonaro supporters. Um, And there was definitely an increase and domestic violence during the pandemic just because of the isolation um, that everyone was subject to and lack of access to resources and even just access to other people. Um, but I'd like to hear what the guys have to say. I'm curious what sort of news reached out to you. Sorry. I'm curious to see uh, what information got to you during the pandemic
0: not exactly during the pandemic I, mean, I guess we're still in the pandemic but not exactly in the in the height of the pandemic in canada at least uh, uh i recently read probably in the last last couple of weeks that in argentina there is a femicide every it was around 32 hours so there were over 227 i think it was feminicides in one year in Argent- in less than a year in, in <laughs> 11 months in argentina which which is it's as you said raquel it's it's really People, the media it doesn't usually call it a feminicide, do they? They just put it under the under the umbrella of homicide in general. But it is very different. And I remember that it as in, in the same. Uh, this was also, uh, also Anna, to, to what you said, it was also on, uh, I guess, alternative independent news source, As opposed, it wasn't La Nación, Noé It was Info by Buenos Aires, which is a more uh, smaller, more uh, alternative newspaper. Uh, uh, but if you include uh, not only feminicides, but tra there is also a term for this. I don't know what it is in English, but uh, when uh, the homicide of uh, uh, transgender people, transgender women, that leads that that, that ends up being one uh, every thirty hours. So it's it's bizarre, really, how, how much it is. it really exists in Latin America and how little attention it gets.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting how how we all keep mentioning that it gets really not enough attention it deserves and how the media has a really important role in how they portray this, these uh, attacks. Uh, and they, they often they, they often focus on blaming the victim and not whoever caused it, which is in most cases uh, a man. So basically uh, during the, the, the height of the pandemic, I don't really recall any specific ev- uh, event of this, uh, partly mainly because uh, at this time I was just so overwhelmed that I really decreased the amount of of news, um like newspaper uh, information and stuff that I read right online because it was all so focused on, on the on COVID cases going up that that I just really caught a lot of this off. So during the, the pandemic, I don't really recall any specific instances of this, but I just wanted to highlight the the fact that media has a really important um uh, job in this and they often uh blame the victim instead of the the whoever caused the, the actual attack i think this is really i think this is one of the biggest biggest issues i don't know what what if uh what do you both have to say about this but uh i was researching a little bit on this topic and um, i vi- um, victim blaming was one of the biggest issues that that came that that, that kept coming up on, on what i was looking up
1: Definitely, I think that's one of the uh, most common examples of how the media portrays cases of violence against women. Uh, My experience with like getting to know more about gender-based violence during the pandemic was actually—it was almost like every day I I follow. So I follow. Quite a few instagram accounts um that are from alternative uh, newspapers but also um feminist activists from different parts of latin america so i was actually getting these like information every single day and it was also very overwhelming because it was not just the pandemic that was the pandemic like the sorry COVID 19 as one of the uh pandemics that we were experiencing, but also gender-based violence as a pandemic, because with with the pandemic, we, we saw that there was like most of uh, instances of, of gender-based violence increased. Uh, as Anna said, like lockdown measures uh, were not really implemented thinking about the gender aspects. So while staying at home helped us um, reduce the spread of the virus, we didn't really think like politicians didn't really think about, okay, so if we put, if all if everyone has to stay at home, how can we help uh, women? Right? So, and that's when institutional, institutional support comes in play because we need to think in every uh, process, in every process of, of policymaking and legislations, we need to consider how, where's the gender aspect and that's some of one of the things that we saw with the pandemic that it wasn't even considered uh, when we were thinking and implementing lockdown measures and that just shows that there's no institutional support so the issue is not only um seen or taking place in the media and how the media portrays cases of violence but also the institutional support so at the end it also supports the idea that is a systemic issue that needs to change starting from us as individuals going to how the media portrays these issues, how uh, the governments and how uh, like the support networks that women have available to denounce cases of violence, to get help and and so on. So why do
2: you feel like uh, why do you feel like there is minimal institutional support in this? Could you um, expand on that a little bit? I think that's a, a very interesting thing because it's it's uh, such a big issue that I feel like how why and how are uh, politicians and legislatures um, avoiding this issue?
1: Right. So I wanted to bring uh, for the to answer this uh, question, I wanted to bring why uh, Laura Segato is a feminist anthropologist from Argentina. She has she's a she's great. If you ever have time, read some. Oh, articles of, of her, but i will
2: after this podcast i'm okay. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look, look her up yeah,
1: okay I'm
3: right
1: down too. nice yeah so she uh, has this term that uh like in Latin america there's a war against women that's how she called it like there's a war against women and i think that really speaks about the lack of institutional support and some of the examples that evidence is, is, well, first of all, that not all countries have femicide, included in their legislation. So, in there are some countries that don't really think of femicides as something that should be considered as a public issue. Uh, But then going forward, like just with the pandemic, we saw that uh, responses to gender-based violence were not, like, while um, implementing projects to reduce and initiatives to reduce the spread of the virus, the gender aspect was not even considered. So it's usually left uh, as a second uh, topic, but not it's not really part of the first uh, and like, quote unquote, important discussions that are taking place. And I think going back to, to what Segato says is that women are not seen as, are not really a priority. So other things, other topics, other issues are prioritized over discussing what's happening to women. And it's mainly because the system itself was, Created like the part that, that that's how the patriarchy works. That's how uh, the capitalist system helps, uh, like, keep up with this um, oppressive system that we have, in which women are not seen as a priority, women and gender aspects are not uh, really included uh, in policy making process until something happens. Um, and the lack of, of uh, support, institutional support, when there's uh, cases of, of rape, uh, when there are cases of um, uh, abortion that are being debated at the different um, institutional, um, institutional I was gonna say institutional congresses, but like at the Congress or at the Senate or like the assemblies that countries have. So it's, it's the entire process, it's how it works. And it's the institutional support really shapes um, the the societal support and that, again, helps uh, evidence that this is a systemic issue and that there's indeed a war against women because it's not just the media, it's not just one of us, it's like the entire system um, is not supporting women. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's it's scary to think about that sometimes, but I agree. Like, it's so blatant how we're not a priority. And one of the things that I was thinking as you were saying that, and also when you mentioned that there are different types of violences, of course, talking about rape and femicide is extremely important, but there are less obvious ways in which women suffer violence. And one of the things that happened during the pandemic or recently, uh, not at the height of the pandemic, in Brazil was that Bolsonaro vetoed a law that would make menstrual products free for all women as a measure to combat menstrual poverty. Um, And that was, I remember it was the same week when Ontario decided to adopt that measure in public schools. Um, And I remember being so frustrated. (laughs) But I mean, good for Ontario for doing that. But the thing is that um, there is a high degree of school evasion amongst young women because of menstrual poverty. They don't attend school when they're menstruating because they don't have access to pads or tampons, and a lot of them end up dropping out, and that's a big part um, on gender disparity, and also. Uh-
2: uh, so sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just want to know if if I, I really I'm not really aware if if this um, is there is is legislation le- legislation that uh, helps the f- access for menstrual products is it really common worldwide or because I I feel like I remember that that they, they 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 did approve something like that in Canada and I was really interested in that but I I do not I'm not really familiar with how. How common this is this in other countries of, of, of the world, specifically in Latin America? This is a common thing?
3: I think it's a somewhat recent policy debate, or it has gained more traction recently. But for instance, in the public health system in Brazil, condoms have been free for decades. So the whole idea is why are condoms free, but not something that you necessarily mm. have to access every single month. Um, and for people of all ages, not just, you know, sexually active people. Yeah. Not yeah. saying condoms shouldn't be free, they should be free, <laughs> also for the sake of women. But the point is that it's something we could implement, it's just there's no not enough political will to do so.
2: Yeah, so we're, we're back again into the the whole systematic issues and how this 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 problems keep getting neglected by the policymakers again.
3: Exactly.
1: Definitely.
0: I think it also gets neglected because uh, uh, even in Brazil, especially in Brazil, but I think elsewhere in Latin America, this is also true. There's an in- you, you touched on this Raquel, there's a, a massive crisis uh, of representativeness, of representation, there you go, a crisis of representation. So in Brazil, uh, there's only in, in the Congress of Deputies, only 15% of, of all uh, congressmen are actually congresswomen. So only 50% of the seats are occupied by women. And in the Senate, it's even worse, it's 13%. So So I think it goes into that a lot as well. Uh, we aren't electing enough women to represent these these very important um, uh, uh, concepts and these very important ideas and policies in in parliament, and this is true everywhere. I think Canada is all better, but how can you have a country in which 54% of the population is women and only have 15% uh, lawmakers? It, it's bizarre, really.
3: You know, I actually wrote a paper on that, uh, like one of the few opportunities I had to write about gender in my policy degree. Um, and it was about women in politics in Canada. And even though Canada is closer to gender parity in representative politics, there is a crisis of like substantive representation. Like my point is that we shouldn't have to wait for women to be elected to implement those policies. I think it's also a problem of conservatorism. Wait, that's not a word in English of conservatism, there you go, Uh, it's also a problem of conservatism because um, there is obviously a gap between, you know, norm diffusion, if you call it, like, of the general population accepting that women should be in power and, and men in power having the power to implement things that could get more women into power. Am I making sense? I'm sorry, this is a a circle, but uh, my point is that the men currently in power could be doing a lot more and they're not. That's the bottom line.
1: Period. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that we shouldn't wait because if we kind of like related what we have talked about, like if we, if girls are not going to school, then like or don't have access to, to um, educational services and other types of support, then like how are we expecting to have them or to, to see them in positions of leadership and power? So it's like we need to address all these issues at all the different levels, and it's not just like oh yeah, um, half my half of my of my employees are are women. It's just we need to address the entire issue. Um, but yeah, and now I wanted to uh, move the conversation or shift the conversation to uh, some of the examples of feminist responses to gender-based violence. So going back to the idea of the, that there's a war against women, I think there's also a resistance and a pushback from women that we need to consider. And I think it's important to highlight that. Um, so yeah, I wanted to start the conversation with, with that. So. Based on, again, your experiences and knowledge uh, knowledge. What are some of the examples of women's uh, responses to to gender-based violence in Latin America?
2: Again, I, I really um, the the only few times that I I, I remember a big movement, uh, like the most recently was I don't even know what the name was, but I remember they made a they made a song that really that was really it was really popular and really. Las Deces
1: sorry
2: yes yes like i i just really remember that the chant that they kept saying i just really got it was stuck in my head and i thought it was really i i don't really know the, the name of the movement but i think that's one of the the ones that impacted me the most maybe because it happened not not that recent but but that's the most recent that i can remember
1: Yeah, so, oh, Anna, go ahead. I was
3: just gonna mention, um, I saw the same movement happening all over Latin America and I was a bit surprised. Uh, It didn't take off in Brazil as much, but I can understand. We're just simply overwhelmed by Bolsonaro. And I think fighting Bolsonaro is fighting for women. So, And, but I think we did a similar performance as well to Tu Camino. I say, yes. I have to study
1: my Spanish, but yeah.
2: Yeah, that was perfect.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, I think the, the example of a is, is great because it was not only a national response, it was adopted in many Latin American countries, but it was also adopted elsewhere. And I think that's great because it just shows that um, we were making public the issue of gender-based violence in all our contexts. And one of the great things of, of this uh, chant was that it was adapted to the uh, local um, context. So I remember that in India um, they changed uh, or they added a few lines to, to the to the song saying uh, they were uh, rejecting uh, the caste system. So they were also talking about the caste violence. And I think that's just great because uh, we need this type of, of ideas and initiatives to Get together. I think I remember like watching the video of um, Santiago de Chile and how like women were all together, women of all ages and it was just impressive and to see that uh, sense of, of community that was created based on this issue but that brought women together. And the other example that I can think of is um, the Nina Menos Collective. So Nuna Menos is a feminist movement. Uh, it was created in 2015 in Argentina as a response to gender-based violence with um, an emphasis on the high rates of femicide that the country was experiencing. Uh, and since then, Ni Una Menos has become a movement and a slogan. So it's not just the, the collective, it's also it has been adapted to, to different forms, including the, the, the use of the slogan, uh, hashtag Ni Una Menos. Um, yeah. And overall, it has helped visualize and make public the, the issue of, of gender-based violence.
3: I remember Ni Una Menos. Uh, I was in high school and I remember changing my Facebook profile picture for Ni Una Menos. Uh yeah. so Menos gain a lot of traction in Brazil, for sure.
1: Yeah, and Nuna Menos has, as I said, has been adopted and has been, like, Nuna Menos uh, protests and strikes have uh, taken place in other parts of Latin America, just showing that the the idea the Nuna Menos it actually means like no, not one woman less because uh, we don't want to see our sisters uh, dying. We don't want to see or hear more about the cases of, of more cases of femicides and and other forms of violence. Um, but yeah, so we have the example of Las Tesis. So I really encourage all of you to take a look at um, Un Violador en tu camino and all the different uh, performances that have uh, been replicated elsewhere. And yeah, also- I didn't
2: know, I didn't know it, it reached all the way uh, to India. I thought it was only in Spanish speaking countries. I mean, like Latin America, uh, I think also, I, I saw some videos from Spain and I guess maybe one in Brazil maybe. but I did I didn't know it, it 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 reached any other non-Spanish speaking uh, countries. That's really interesting.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. And the green wave that it's sort of what we've been talking about without naming it, but it's this recent surge in feminist movements where you see people wearing green. Bandanas and green masks, um, and they were calling for more reproductive rights um, all across Latin America. But one thing you mentioned when we were talking before recording the episode that I thought was really interesting was the Mexico nationwide strike, the Un Dia Sin Nosotras campaign. I thought that was so powerful. Um, should I, I should explain, uh, on March 8th, uh, it was a general strike on March 8th, um, to show the impact of women in society and the economy more generally. So it was calling for women to walk out of their workplaces and to not shop anything on March 8th to sort of show a dent that we could make, um, by removing ourselves from the economy, basically.
1: Yeah, and that had a huge impact, and only because it helped visualize a day without us, like what would a life without us uh, would look like, but also just in terms of of the economy. um, According to the Confederation of the, the National Chambers of Commerce, the impact of the strike uh, to the economy was that of 30 billion Mexican pesos, and that's around like 1.85 billion Canadian dollars, just like to show that we are a key aspect of society, but we are still being not protected. Uh, We are neglected in many instances, and uh, we are not taken into account in many, many processes and, and instances. And I think that's why we really need to have these conversations with friends, with family, and also um, kind of like take care more about this issue that affects us all. And I don't think we should wait until one of our sisters or, or one of our like closer friends uh, has experienced some kind of violence to act and be vocal and be active about the topic. I think we don't need to get to that point. And having these conversations, as I said, is gonna help us. Um, all of us to to learn more about the topic and also to learn what are the some of the ways in which when we can we can interact and and help
2: yeah um speaking on the topic of how we we have to change as a society i think it's really one topic that i believe we haven't uh, touched upon yet is a little bit of uh, while I was preparing for this episode I, I I found that like one of the biggest issues was victim blaming but another really big issue was sort of they they, they called it killing the the messenger which is basically like uh, after all these feminist movements uh, uh, started getting gaining traction and 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 and, and more um, more popular people tend to not not be so welcoming uh, on some of them, I guess, and I mean, not 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 in a in a, in a way like oh like we we hate this movements, but um sort of like uh, labeling this woman in, in 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 some derogatory terms and and sort of not not being so welcoming of these movements. And I just want to touch on on this topic and and know what's uh, your perspectives on this on, on this issue. And is is it, is it as big as as the the few articles I read um. Uh, claimed it to be or is it like should we should we also discuss on this topic is it is it worth talking about
1: you mean like the backlash that feminists receive when talking about these issues yes 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 yes. i I feel like
2: like like speaking up and 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 saying oh this is wrong and like all the because um in, in in feminist movement, there's often like like some some there has to be some leadership involved in kind of going against um like speaking up for for for, for the rights and i think uh, yeah i feel like uh, a few women get uh, some backlash because of this and i think i want to learn more about it and know your opinion on this
1: to be honest and this is like so sad but i've had this conversation with so many of my friends that i speak up like we all have experienced some kind of backlash like we get called like so many different in so many different ways of like killing the party or killing the mood or or just like be speaking out that we, we are not funny or that we don't get the joke or like it's good to have some kind of sense of humor, but at this point, like feminist backlash is always gonna exist, right? Or like hopefully it doesn't. But we need to like that's that's part of the work that we need to address. And as much as it's sad that we still experience this backlash, I think for me, at least, it just helps me understand that this is a larger problem. So it's not just the people that I'm surrounded by, but it's a larger problem than than just that. And that just helps me um, keep working on this and like, keep speaking up, Keep having these conversations because there's a na- major change that needs to be um, made.
3: Yeah, I also think that's that sort of, that specific backlash is very connected to the place that women are meant to occupy in society. It's just uh, women are supposed to be submissive and complacent and quiet, and that's something that is reflected when people are trying to kill the messenger, as you put it, Um, just trying to silence us really. Um, And that's, that's also related to the thing that we talked about before where it's treated as a private issue. Like you shouldn't interfere when a couple is having a fight or an argument because that's their private life, their private business. And in reality, we should interfere when there is violence in in a domestic situation. And that was a big campaign in Brazil as well, which was Mecha Colher no Meio, which means put, uh, that doesn't translate well. (laughs) Um, To put the spoon in the middle of a situation is to interfere in a situation that doesn't concern you, basically. So the campaign was saying to put the spoon in the middle of domestic violence. And one silver lining that happened in Brazil was a legislation was approved to make it mandatory for building um, property managers or on-site property managers to be obligated to denounce domestic violence, uh, which is, you know, putting the spoon in the middle, in a way.
1: And we can all do that like we don't need legislation to to be this spoon um in that in that sense we can all take actions besides attending strikes and protests and like reading about feminism and what the different collectives are doing i think like having these aqu- like it could be awkward conversations because it's usually like you need to be uh like willing to learn and to understand that you don't know everything and maybe like that our actions have like might have contributed to some kind of violence. So having these conversations with friends and family and, and even like questioning our own uh, actions, like maybe like lo- lo- taking and, and looking back at like, maybe like we have been, all of us, we have been um, contributed to, to, to some kind of, of violence against women. Uh, also the importance of believing survivors. I think that's uh, an issue that is still sometimes makes me really, really mad when uh, there's the the counter argument that no, it's just that you need to, uh, like, we don't know that, right? So like when a woman speaks up, maybe like in social media, and here, not to get really to the point, but that's uh, called la cultura del escrache, I don't know the word in English but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's usually, um, a strategy used by many, many women to denounce publicly uh, issues of violence. Um, and we need to believe survivors. We need to, to believe them and also offer support. So understand that if we say that something, like we were victims of violence, it was because we were victims of violence. Uh, of all the different forms of violence. So it doesn't have to be sexual or uh, psychological. There are many, many ways in which women are being oppressed and discriminated against. Um, And also just like kind of like to end with a positive note and um, is that feminism is for everybody. So you don't have to be part of a collective. You don't have to be a woman to be part of, of the movement of the change. I think we can all contribute in one way or another to make this issue public, to call attention and demand action. And that involves all of us. And it's not just something that only women can take or or do. I think it involves all members of society because the society itself is the one that is supporting this war against women.
3: Yeah, can I just make a quick suggestion? Of course. I'm not saying we don't need your maximum effort on this front but I think a very low effort way to be more engaged or contribute to the cause of feminists is to follow people on your social media who are doing this work. Yes, Uh, It's such a convenient way to be exposed to this discussion and to information that traditional media might not. Relate to you. And I feel like most people that I know who follow these accounts or these, you know, information outlets are women. And I think it's extremely important that women follow this and participate. But it would be so great if more men would read about this and read these conversations and. Participate or even just listen. Because um, a lot of the times, uh, the men who are really interested in helping and actually care about the issue seem a bit lost or like they are not sure what they, their place is in the conversation. And it's great that they're trying to find their place, but sometimes it translates into, oh, uh, please educate me and yes that is something that is a good first step but it can't stop in that place you know I think men should be more proactive in finding those um, outlets of information that are people dedicating exclusively to this purpose of educating um, men and women about feminist issues and debates and initiatives and this is not a criticism, it's just something that comes up really often in conversation and I think now with social media it's a great opportunity to have this information fed to you with minimal minimal effort.
1: Yeah, that's a great point and I'll make sure to uh, tag all the accounts that I follow and I for all um, the, for, just for all, I really suggest following uh, a specific uh, account. It's called the Machos a Hombres. It's uh, a Mexican institute that deconstructs um, like masculinity and uh, it helps create positive masculinity, um, challenge machista actions, and I think that's great because it's it's an account. It's a project made by men for men. So it's not like, as you said, women explaining men what they should be doing. Um, so it's a great place to start. But for all the other members of our audience that are interested in learning more about these and just maybe like they want to get to know how to where to start in terms of uh, learning more about this, Anna and I will make sure to include all, all our, um, I guess, influencers, feminist influencers yeah. in the comments of of the of the episode when it's uh, posted on Instagram, but for now, thank you so much for for the conversation. Uh, I really hope we were able to introduce you to some of the issues that affect women. Gender-based violence is one of the main ones, and I think it's important for all of us to understand that this is a public issue that needs to be addressed at all levels of society, and that we all take a we all play an important role in um, changing this situation. So. Yes, thank you so much for for watch, uh for listening, and thank you so much, Ana, Jose, and Agiame for being part of of this much needed conversation. Thank you
3: for having me; it was a pleasure.
0: Absolutely, I think uh, I think I speak for both myself and Jose Alfredo that we both learned a lot. I didn't speak a lot because I was just listening, yes. and it was very very interesting to hear what you all yes, had to say. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure that everyone in the audience listening uh, uh, learned a lot too. So. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This was the third episode of the fourth season of El Cafecito. It was a pleasure uh, to have you listen to us as always. Please uh, remember to follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll see you in two weeks. Ciao.